Chapter Seven, Part One of the Many-Sided Franklin by Paul Lester Ford. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Chapter Seven, Relations with the Fair Sex, Part One. At fourteen years of age, so Franklin relates, he engaged in a controversy with another boy on, quote, the propriety of educating the female sex in learning and their ability for study, end quote, his opponent maintaining that it was improper and that they were naturally unequal to it, while Benjamin took the contrary side, perhaps a little for dispute's sake. Two years later, when composing the letters of Mrs. Duguid, he wrote one in defense of women, in reply to a request of Ephraim Censorius, that the author of those essays should, quote, let the first volley of your resentment be directed against female vice, let female idleness, ignorance, and folly be the subject of your satires, but more especially female pride, which I think is intolerable, end quote. I find it a very difficult matter, the embryo philosopher replied, to reprove women separate from the men, for what vice is there in which the men have not as great a share as women? Moreover, he argued, such faults as the sex have are chiefly due to men. Idleness? Quote, if a man will be so fond and so foolish as to labor hard himself for a livelihood, and suffer his wife in the meantime to sit in ease and idleness, let him not blame her if she does so, for it is in a great measure his own fault. Ignorance and folly? The fault is wholly on the men, for not allowing women the advantages of education. Pride? Truly, if women are proud, it is certainly owing to the men still, for if they will be such simpletons as to humble themselves at their feet, and fill their credulous ears with extravagant praises of their wit, beauty, and other accomplishments, what wonder is it if they carry themselves haughtily and live extravagantly? End quote. As befitted her pen-name, Mrs. Duguid devoted much space to the consideration of feminine affairs. One of her letters treats of the lamentable condition of widows, and suggests for their benefit a mutual insurance that shall give to every married woman five hundred pounds on the death of her husband. Another discusses the sad lot of the maid, who, being puffed up in her younger years with a numerous train of humble servants, had the vanity to think that her extraordinary wit and beauty could continually recommend her to the esteem of the gallants but has seen her rejected swains, to all appearances in a dying condition, recover their health and marry, and who, disappointed in and neglected by her former adorers, and with no new offers appearing, begs the writer to form a project for the relief of all those penitent mortals of the fair sex that are like to be punished with their virginity until old age for the pride and insolence of their youth. Showing no favor to her own condition, the widow suggests a friendly society that shall pay to each member, when the age of thirty is attained, five hundred pounds, which sum she deems sufficient to fit each with a husband, but she adds that this premium shall be subject to the condition that, quote, no woman who, after claiming and receiving, has had the good fortune to marry, shall entertain any company with encomiums on her husband above the space of one hour at a time. End quote. 
a third article picturing boston at night describes still another class of feminine unfortunates of whom the sixteen-year-old lad might better have been ignorant one has but to read fielding or smollett to know that the eighteenth century was a poor school for the learning of moral purity and the runaway prentice separated from home and parents had fewer influences than most to save him from adopting the view of the times that human appetites were given to man for his enjoyment and that their gratification was a venial fault at most in the years of wandering which followed his leaving boston he himself frankly confesses that his hard-to-be-governed passion of youth hurried him frequently into intrigues with low women that fell in his way and he probably had his own transgressions in mind when a few years later in a newspaper essay he bespoke a charitable judgment of such weakness arguing in behalf of the abstract offender that quote, your youth your inexperience the weakness of your reason and the violence of your passions all plead strongly for you as he grew in years and wisdom franklin set himself to conquer his own nature in this failing as in others but struggle as he would his physique was stronger than his will through all his life he never succeeded in bringing himself to his own standard and poor richard could speak wittingly when he asserted that quote, the proof of gold is fire the proof of woman gold the proof of man a woman End quote. yet though this incontinence was a matter of common knowledge and was recurrently used as a subject of attack in political campaigns his own generation both men and women deemed him a moral man whose friendship was an honor and it is unfair to judge him by standards that did not exist at the time he lived or to hold his other virtues in disrespect because he lacked this one the roving period of his journeyman life over, no sooner was he settled in Philadelphia than he looked about in search of a helpmeet. For, according to poor Richard, quote, a man without a wife is but half a man, end quote. A view enlarged upon by Franklin when he wrote a young friend, quote, it is the man and woman united that make the complete human being. Separate, she wants his force of body and strength of reason, he her softness, sensibility, and acute discernment. Together they are more likely to succeed in the world. A single man has not nearly the value he would have in the state of union. He is an incomplete animal. He resembles the odd half of a pair of scissors. If you get a prudent, healthy wife, your industry in your profession, with her good economy, will be a fortune sufficient. End quote. In the same vein, and almost in the same words, even to his somewhat questionable comparison of matrimony to a pair of scissors, he told another quote, The married state is, after all our jokes, the happiest because comfortable to our natures. Man and woman have each of them qualities and tempers which in the other is deficient, and which in union contribute to the common felicity. Single and separate, they are not the complete human being. They are like the odd halves of scissors. They cannot answer the end of their formation. End quote. 
favorably as the young printer thought of the institution of wedlock he allowed little sentiment to enter into his own suits he had leased the upper part of his printing office to a family of the name of godfrey in turn boarding with them and in womanly fashion quote, mrs godfrey projected a match for me with a relation's daughter took opportunities of bringing us often together till a serious courtship on my part ensued the girl being in herself very deserving the old folks encouraged me by continual invitations to supper and by leaving us together till at length it was time to explain mrs godfrey managed our little treaty i let her know that i expected as much money with their daughter as would pay off my remaining debt for the printing-house which i believe was then above a hundred pounds she brought me word that they had no such sum to spare i said they might mortgage their house in the loan office the answer to this after some days was that they did not approve the match whether this was a real change of sentiment or only artifice on a supposition of our being too far engaged in affection to retract and therefore that we should steal a marriage which would leave them at liberty to give or withhold what they pleased i know not but i suspected the latter resented it and went no more mrs godfrey brought me afterwards some more favourable accounts of their disposition and would have drawn me on again but i declared absolutely my resolution to have nothing more to do with that family this was resented by the godfreys we differed and they removed leaving me the whole house and i resolved to take no more inmates this affair franklin continues calmly having turned my thoughts to marriage i looked round me and made overtures of acquaintance in other places but soon found that the business of a printer being generally thought a poor one i was not to expect money with a wife unless with such a one as i should not otherwise think agreeable his empty rooms too no doubt were a persuasive for though poor richard advised that one never take a wife till you have a house and a fire to put her in he also maintained that a house without a woman and firelight is like a body without soul and spirit disappointed in his several courtships he turned to one whom he had already wooed and won over four years before these abortive attempts on the day of his first arrival in philadelphia the runaway apprentice quote, unkempt and unwashed from the journey and with three great puffy rolls one under each arm and eating a third had walked up market street as far as fourth street passing by the door of mr reed my future wife's father when she standing at the door saw me and thought i made as i certainly did a most awkward ridiculous appearance presently after he had secured work with keimer he took lodgings at mr reed's and propinquity thus favoring he made some courtship during this time to miss reed Quote, i had he states a great respect and affection for her and had some reason to believe she had the same for me but as i was about to take a long voyage and we were both very young only a little above eighteen it was thought most prudent by her mother to prevent our going too far at present as a marriage if it was to take place would be more convenient after my return when i should be as i expected set up in my business perhaps too she thought my expectations not so well founded as i imagined them to be End quote. 
once in london franklin says quote, i forgot by degrees my engagements with miss reed to whom i never wrote more than one letter and that was to let her know i was not likely soon to return End quote. this was as he candidly owned when older quote, another of the great errata of my life which i would wish to correct if i were to live it over again End quote he acknowledged too that when eighteen months later he returned and established himself in philadelphia quote, i should have been ashamed at seeing miss reed had not her friends despairing with reason of my return after the receipt of my letter persuaded her to marry another one rogers a potter which was done in my absence with him however she was never happy and soon parted from him refusing to cohabit with him or bear his name and it being now said that he had another wife he was a worthless fellow though an excellent workman which was the temptation to her friends he got into debt ran away in seventeen twenty seven or seventeen twenty eight went to the west indies and died there despite franklin's ill-treatment of them there was no rupture and quote, a friendly correspondence as neighbors and old acquaintances had continued between me and mr reed's family who all had a regard for me from the time of my first lodging in their house i was often invited there and consulted in their affairs wherein i sometimes was of service End quote. thus drawn into the family circle Quote, I pitied poor Miss Reed's unfortunate situation, who was generally dejected, seldom cheerful, and avoided company. I considered my giddiness and inconstancy when in London as in a great degree the cause of her unhappiness, though the mother was good enough to think the fault more her own than mine, as she had prevented our marrying before I went thither, and persuaded the other match in my absence. Our mutual affection was revived, but there were now great objections to our union. The match was indeed looked upon as invalid, a preceding wife being said to be living in England, but this could not easily be proved because of the distance, and though there was a report of his death, it was not certain. Then, though it should be true, he had left many debts, which his successor might be called upon to pay." an escape from these difficulties was found in the common law marriage and franklin took her to wife september first seventeen thirty none of the inconveniences happened that we apprehended she proved a good and faithful helpmate assisted me much by attending shop we throve together and have ever mutually endeavored to make each other happy thus i corrected that great erratum as well as i could Long years after Mrs. Franklin's death, her husband bore testimony to the aid she had been to him, telling a young girl, quote, Frugality is an enriching virtue, a virtue I never could acquire myself, but I was once lucky enough to find it in a wife, who thereby became a fortune to me. Do you possess it? If you do, and I were twenty years younger, I would give your father one thousand guineas for you. I know you would be worth more to me as a manager but i am covetous and love good bargains win a prudent wife the printer said and if she does not bring a fortune she will help to make one industry frugality and prudent economy in a wife are to the tradesmen in their effect a fortune 
when his daughter married a shopkeeper the father advised her that she could be as serviceable to her husband in keeping shop quote, as your mother was to me for you are not deficient in capacity and i hope are not too proud End quote. elsewhere he wrote quote, we have an english proverb that says he that would thrive must ask his wife it was lucky for me that i had one as much disposed to industry and frugality as myself she assisted me cheerfully in my business folding and stitching pamphlets tending shop purchasing old linen rags for the paper makers etc etc we kept no idle servants our table was plain and simple our furniture of the cheapest for instance my breakfast was a long time bread and milk no tea and i ate it out of a twopenny earthen porringer with a pewter spoon but mark how luxury will enter families and make a progress in spite of principle being called one morning to breakfast i found it in a china bowl with a spoon of silver they had been bought for me without my knowledge by my wife and had cost her the enormous sum of three-and-twenty shillings for which she had no other excuse or apology to make but that she thought her husband deserved a silver spoon and china bowl as well as any of his neighbours this was the first appearance of plate and china in our house which afterward in a course of years as our wealth increased augmented gradually to several hundred pounds in value in stamp act times the husband took comfort in the recollection quote, that i had once been clothed from head to foot in woolen and linen of my wife's manufacture that i never was prouder of my dress in my life and that she and her daughter might do it again if it was necessary End quote. there can be no question that deborah franklin was far more to her husband than a good helpmeet for a very great affection developed between the two in an absence franklin declared that quote, i began to think of and wish for home and as i drew nearer i found the attraction stronger and stronger my diligence and speed increased with my inclination i drove on violently and made such long stretches that a very few days brought me to my own house and to the arms of my good old wife End quote. when in england he told her you may think perhaps that i can find many amusements here to pass the time agreeably it is true the regard and friendship i meet with from persons of worth and the conversation of ingenious men give me no small pleasure but at this time of life domestic comforts afford the most solid satisfaction and my uneasiness at being absent from my family and longing desire to be with them make me often sigh in the midst of cheerful company again he wrote my dear love i hoped to have been on the sea in my return by this time but find i must stay a few weeks longer perhaps for the summer ships thanks to god i continue well and hearty and i hope to find you so when i have the happiness once more of seeing you one form in which this love expressed itself was in the gifts they made each other during the years they were separated how mrs franklin sent her husband apples buckwheat and other american goodies has already been recorded and he made ample return for them busy as the colony agent was in his sojourns in london he found time to select and ship remembrances of many kinds to his wife thus he notified her that 
i sent my dear a newest fashioned white hat and cloak and sundry little things which i hope will get safe to hand i now send her a pair of buckles made of french paste stones which are next in lustre to diamonds again he informed her i have ordered two large print common prayer books to be bound on purpose for you and goody smith and that the largeness of the print may not make them too bulky the christenings matrimonies and everything else that you and she have not immediate and constant occasion for are to be omitted so you will both of you be reprieved from the use of spectacles in church a little longer of another gift he wrote my poor cousin walker in buckinghamshire is a lace-maker she was ambitious of presenting you and sally with some netting of her work but as i knew she could not afford it i chose to pay for it at her usual price three six per yard it goes also in the box he even noted the fashions and to help her to be in style quote, sent a striped cotton and silk gown for you of a manufacture now much the mode here there is another for sally people line them with some old silk gown and they look very handsome of one present he said quote, i also forgot among the china to mention a large fine jug for beer to stand in the cooler i fell in love with it at first sight for i thought it looked like a fat jolly dame clean and tidy with a neat blue and white calico gown on good-natured and lovely and put me in mind of somebody End quote as they sent each other numerous gifts so too they wrote each other frequently and franklin boasted that quote, i think nobody ever had more faithful correspondence than i have in mr hughes and you it is impossible to get or keep out of your debts nor was he himself neglectful for he once told her quote, i know you love to have a line from me by every packet so i write though i have little to say despite this care the irregularities of the mails produced chidings that bespoke her eagerness for news of him Quote, april seven this day is complete five months since you left your own house i did receive a letter from the capes since that not one line i do suppose that you did write by the packet but that is not arrived yet End quote and again she complained quote, i have been very much distressed about you as i did not get any letter nor one word from you nor did i hear one word from anybody that you wrote to so i must submit and endeavor to submit to what i am to bear End quote. their correspondence too never failed to express strong affection franklin usually began his quote, my dear child or my dear love and concluded i am ever my dear debbie your affectionate husband varied at times with i am dear girl your loving husband a formula which was so customary that he ended thus one letter which had taken her to task for not writing in a postscript he added quote, i have scratched out the loving words being writ in haste by mistake when i forgot i was angry End quote in return her letters opened my dear child and even my dearest dear child and were signed i am my dear child your affectionate wife which was occasionally modified in orthography to i am your affectionate wife Quote, i sat down to confab a little with my dear child she began one missive and she ended another adieu my dear child and take care of yourself for mammy's sake as well as your one yet a third begged he would quote, 
tell me how your poor arms was and how you was on your voyage and how you are and everything is with you which i want very much to know and she told him that she joined with him quote, in sincere thanks to god for your preservation and safe arrival and what reason have you and i to be thankful for many mercies we have received End of chapter seven part one